podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Yes, yes, yes. And welcome back to the Fresh Arsenal podcast, hosted once again by me, PB. A very uh, able stand-in last week from the familiar voice of Pat whilst I was on a Ryanair flight home from Portugal. Something that Edu's been doing as well, going on Ryanair flights. <laughs> Pat, are you going on a Ryanair flight anytime soon? I'm not, I'm not. And uh, actually, I'm trying to take as few of those Ryanair flights as possible because, I mean, you know, you, you've flown recently, but it has just become a nightmare to fly anywhere, especially mm. when the flight's aren't international um or i mean aren't kind of far away so to speak like the like i don't know i've short done a, haul. yeah the short haul like state to state flights in the u.s i've done uh, a couple over the summer and a couple of like close by european cities and it is uh it's not fun anymore but just want to shout out uh dan goog dan Coogs from the uh, Touchy Gooners podcast mm. for stepping in last week did a great job last minute and uh, was uh, pretty awesome. Yeah, no, it was really good, really good lesson. I did listen to it on the plane. I downloaded it just before getting on, which was nice. <laughs> Have you ever done that though? Like, I've I've been in the airport before, like desperately trying to like yeah. get the last ounce of Wi-Fi. Downloaded podcast, Netflix, whatever it may be. And yeah. I remember uh, I had a flight from Orlando to London. And I was trying to do like an entire new TV series. Mm. And I'm like literally stepping on the plane. Like, oh, let me just check if I, if it's downloaded. And to my horror, it only gone like two of the seven episodes. I was like, fucking hell, what am I going to do? Mm. Um, so I was like desperately clamoring, trying to get like episode three, four and five up. But um, there we have it. There we mm. have it. Not, this isn't Arsenal chat. So maybe we should talk about it. Well, you know. it was a positive chat that I listened to on the, on the plane, obviously after our, our opening day win. Um, and it's another win to talk about today. So a lovely start to the season. I guess we were probably more positive about this one going into it than Palace, just because yeah. it was a home game. You know, Leicester aren't pulling up trees at the moment. But um, what was your general sort of expectation before the game? Did you see this being quite straightforward? Yeah, for sure. I, I think I would have had a little bit more of a concern if they'd kept hold of that two goal lead in the first game I think them coming in after a 2-0 win after like a lot of doom and gloom maybe they would have been in a bit of better nick but I, I think I said before that when you see Roger speak to the media he looks kind of fatigued and, and mentally drained they've got a sell before they buy I, I just think there is a lot of kind of mental hardship around being in a club, and again, look, it's not like, you know, we feel super sorry for all these footballers because they're on crazy money and stuff, but they are humans. And, you know, when you're at a company that's not doing that well and you're still having to do your job to the best of your ability, it is mentally draining. And I do think uh, the other side of me was like, well, you know, there are also a few players there like really trying to get themselves in the shop window, um, mm. including the likes of Madison and Tielemans, the, the latter that we've obviously been linked to a lot. But yeah, I, I thought on paper, this is probably our second most difficult fixture. I think people would probably agree that Bournemouth away, Fulham at home and Villa at home are more straightforward than these first two games. Uh, I don't know if I'm being too disrespectful to those teams or too kind to Palace and Leicester. But I think when you look at the end of the season, um, 
you know, Palace are most certainly going to be higher than Bournemouth and Fulham. Leicester are probably likely going to be higher than Bournemouth and Fulham, even though they are probably going to have a down season. And then Villa, I'd expect to be there or thereabouts near Leicester as well. Um, but also we have a, a, a better record against Villa. I think we we uh, match up against them quite well. So when I was looking at these first five fixtures, these first two actually felt like the the tougher ones, um, mm. especially the Palace one. So yeah, no, I, I still expected a fairly straightforward win. Um, and yeah, it, it, it kind of seemed like it. I have to profess, I didn't actually watch the game live. I was at a wedding and I'm not going to lie. Uh, luckily, the game was going on during like the dinner part of the wedding or the, the, the wedding breakfast rather than kind of the service mm. where there was very little 3G in this church. And also my phone was buzzing. I was just like, oh, it's 2-1. Oh, it's 3-1, 3-2, 4-2. I was mm. like, what the hell is going on? Every now and then going to the loo to, to see what the goals were like. And uh, I re-watched it, watched some extended highlights as well. So I feel I'm, I'm in an okay spot to, to give some thoughts. Yeah. Well, let's go through uh, some actions in the game and then we'll look at um maybe some talking points from it but i guess the first what did we score 20 23rd minute i think the first 20 minute was a little bit um we probably didn't have the control or the flow of the game uh that arteta would want anyway i think leicester had a, a very presentable chance with with a uh, uh marauding right up the pitch and sort of scuffing his finish Arsenal had some great chances throughout this game, really. But I think possession-wise, I think we finished on 49 or 50-50%. Um, so that overall control. But looking at Leicester's lineup, is that really a surprise? They, they played a back three, um, three in midfield, Dewsbury Hall and Didi Tillemans and Madison as a 10. So they clearly set out to try and um, control the ball as much as possible. And it was fairly even. But Arsenal sort of epitomised what they could do to the Leicester defence with that first goal, didn't it? I mean, Gabriel Jesus, I think we all thought he was going to be a good signing. I don't think anyone foresaw the sort of Arsenal of qualities that he can bring to the attack. I mean, his dribbling, his close control was a lot better than I than I think I've seen before. And I think it's fair to say he is just playing better than he has and he's talked about mental the mental side of the move and the sort of relief and the trust he feels and and this being a great environment for him and it was all epitomized in that first goal wasn't it he sort of uh i think controlled the ball did a little dribble past martinelli passed it inside to Xhaka, lays it off for jesus and the audacity to even try that pet i mean it's yeah it's, it's a stunning goal Stunning goal. I, I, honestly, I gasped when I saw it. Like I'm, I'm watching it like under the table, see mm. the goal, um, and I was literally like, could not, not react. And someone sitting next to me was like, "What's happened?" I was like, "Oh, you know." Luckily, the guy was a football fan, and I was mm. like, Just "Have a look at this goal." And he was like, "Jesus Christ!" Mm. I think he'd captained him on FPL, so he was happy. Um, mm. But same here. I, th- I think that I captained Harland, unfortunately. The the one thing. That I I don't think I'm surprised about anything to with Jesus apart from I think I said this on the last episode. His actual power, like his mm. running power and his body power, is something that I'm really shocked by. Like in the last game, if we think about it, uh, the game prior to Leicester, Palace away, he shrugs off Jeff Schlupp, who is a big, powerful guy, really quick as well. 
Nutmegs Decore shrugs him off, who looks like a pretty imposing player as well. Sidesteps Guayhi, who is again, you know, pretty big and strong. Sits down um uh who's who's their partner, who's the Yoki uh, Manderson sits him mm. down, kind of shrugs him off as well. Another big, imposing player. Like, I've just been really surprised by, and maybe this is because at City you don't see as much individuality and players dribbling and, and running past players apart from, you know, maybe now with Foden, Grealish, Kevin De Bruyne are doing it quite a lot. And obviously we'll see a lot of it with Haaland. Um, but that kind of like shoulder down into mm. the player, get off me. Like we saw it in this game against... Um, Johnny Evans, like yeah. it was just that the physicality of the guy is something that's really surprised me. Everything else, I think people have been like, oh, I'm surprised by his dribbling. And, you know, I didn't think he'd be that good a finisher and stuff like that. I kind of always knew he had in him, uh, even if I'd only seen it in flashes at City. But this has been, that has been exactly is it that, for me. It, I, I agree on, on all the other stuff as well. But it's the consistency and maybe he is just in an absolute purple patch of all of this and, and he will become more inconsistent. And But you just feel safe at the moment when he's running at a player or when he's got the ball. He doesn't seem to be putting a foot wrong much at all. And, you know, that was throughout preseason and now two Premier League games. So he just seems, I think, mentally more focused and it brings out a lot of those qualities, uh, especially that sort of aggressiveness that you talked about. And I think that chance came at, um, that that incident with Evans came at 2-0. But let's talk about it now. I mean, Ramsdale's long ball, you know, very good pass, but a hell of a lot for Jesus to do still, I think. If that's Lacazette, probably sails over his head. Um, Aubameyang probably doesn't control that. Jesus, bear in mind this ball's just come, what, 60, 70 yards up the pitch. It's been fired at him as well, right? Yeah, like it's, with pace. It's with a lot of pace to control it is crazy. He controls it with a header, doesn't he, that sort of like takes the pace out of it, brings it back down, um, shoves his body, you know, if you watch it back, he really shoves his body into into Evans, but fairly, and then spins him. And indeed, he excellent defensive work to get back and deny that because that would have been an excellent goal. And I just think Jesus probably wasn't aware that indeed he was was anywhere um, near that incident considering he received it sort of 1v1 but I think that sort of shows that power you're talking about and that confidence he's playing with maybe in in Manchester City he doesn't try that because maybe the focus is more on sort of retaining that ball whereas here he's given the trust to to be that final piece in the jigsaw but Let's go on to the second goal because this was very similar to his goal against Chelsea, wasn't it, in, in pre-season, I think it was, or did Chelsea or Seville? He did the same same sort of thing, mm. um, a flick on at the near post from a corner. And, you know, it's one of those where you see the ball's gone in and you're waiting to see who the camera points to as, as to who's put it in because it could be anyone. But once again, it's Jesus because somehow his positioning is just so good that he's managed to get in the right place at the right time again. Did you see his sort of um, positioning and and heading ability, I guess? I know it was not a hard header to win, but I guess when when he joined, I watched all of his goals back from Manchester City and pretty much all of them were within like six, seven yards. So this kind of goal is kind of what I expected him to score. I didn't expect to see him score those um, like the first goal which I think he, has come with more confidence. 
Yeah, I mean, I think he is got that kind of natural striker's instinct in the six-yard box. I also think he's very, very good in the air for his height. Um, mm. So, yeah, this is the type of goal that I thought he'd be scoring. And I think we've heard from, you know, uh, Elliot on the Arsenal Vision podcast say a lot, we're going to score a lot more scrappy goals this season because of the kind of tenacity, the first kind of uh, responders, so you'd say, into like a football situation from like, you know, Martinelli, Jesus, Saka, they're quite quick to get onto like an, a, bad, a bad touch, like a mistake. I think we are going to score a lot more of these goals where it, you know, the thing about Lacazette is just he never gambled. As mm. a striker, you, like you're always told, like I used to play up front, right? You was, always used to get told, gamble. Like gamble 10 times in a game that a player's going to miss a touch or make a mistake or a ball is going to come heavier or lighter than you than than they think and I just think with Lacazette there was such a there was such a reluctance to ever gamble as a striker and he actually didn't have the legs to make this that many runs like I think um there was something I said quite a lot last season where sometimes Cedric would be on the ball and Lacazette would make like a lung bursting run behind the defense and you're like why are you doing that Cedric's never going to find you Mm. right like and you see with Zezus like he's making the runs when Ramsdale's got the ball when you know luckily when that whole midfield or Zinchenko has the ball they can find him but he he is gambling a lot and you know it's a striker doing striker things we shouldn't be shocked at that but that is definitely the type of goal that we we would have and I think we'll become accustomed to seeing with um, Jesus this season Mm. and beyond yeah, definitely. And I think just to touch on, he had a, another chance after that second goal. Um, I don't know when it fell, actually, in the first half, where I think Saka would be rightly aggrieved that it wasn't rolled to him for a sort of um, pretty much open goal. But I think Jesus had his eyes on the prize at that time. And that is what makes him so special as well. So we don't really want to take away that slight selfishness um, from him. But just to say that Arsenal could have could have had more in that first <laughs> half. Yeah, that was a great bit of interchange between him, Odegaard, Martinelli, mm. and then just needs to open his body up a little bit. It was a good save, to be fair. Yeah. And I do think that square pass, it would have had to been literally first time and perfect. Yeah. Um, so I, to be honest with you, on your hat trick, <laughs> like yeah, it's you kind of on your instep. That's no. your bread and butter. You've got to try and score that. Um, mm. And he, uh, he, he sadly didn't. But mm-hmm. yeah, it was a stunning first half performance from him. Yeah. And, and actually, you know, one player that we haven't mentioned that much, Martinelli, was, I don't want to say better, but I don't know if I've ever seen him play as well in a first half against a very, very good player in West Fafana who's you know, been mm. touted at 70, 80 million or whatever to go to Chelsea. He probably will end up there at the end of the window. He just looked absolutely electric and he looks so strong now. It's like you can't really barge him off the ball. There was a few like 50-50s in the Palace game in this game where you just think, oh, he's just going to get eased out of it and he ends up with the ball somehow. But, you know, the first touch, the close control, the the power in his running to get away from Fafana when he gets him on that yellow card. And um, it was a tough afternoon for him. And I just thought, yeah, he was just electric. 
the entire mm. first half and, and pretty much the entire game. Yeah, I think he was... I, I, I ever talked about it on one of these podcasts or in, in one of the BBC things we've done, but I think Jesus has brought the level up from him. I mean, there's that obvious chemistry, both in the Brazilian national team, both sort of play with that aggressive, intense style, um, sort of defending from the front. And he's definitely improved, I think, since Jesus has come in. There seems to be a real connection on that side, which was really important because sometimes we lack sort of any sort of threat from that um, left side of the pitch. I think it's been helped as well by Zinchenko, who I thought had an excellent game behind him. Um, And again, we talked about when Zinchenko arrived about how he would sort of tuck into that Xhaka position and allow us to have another eight, which we probably all thought wouldn't be Xhaka himself. Um, But this game was a perfect example of it, wasn't it? I mean, Zinchenko, looking at the pass combinations between the Arsenal players, I think it's Zinchenko to Xhaka and then Xhaka to Zinchenko are the top two in this game. Um, So that's really much more of a connection and and patterns of play on that left-hand side. And we saw exactly what I was saying, you know, that number eight, Xhaka himself, getting into the box in this game. Um, We'll talk about his, his goal in a minute, but he got into the box a hell of a lot, Xhaka, didn't he? And, um, you know, set up that first goal from Jesus by, you know, it wasn't a, a special assist, but he was a body in that box, um, you know, right in by the sort of penalty spot area, which we, we've we not become accustomed to seeing Xhaka in. Um, so really interesting tactical stuff in this game where I'm sure Arteta doesn't think we've played perfectly, but I'm sure he's seeing some of his ideas with this team really, really coming to life. But let's look at one of the sort of more negative points of the game, although I'm going to spin it and say this is actually after full time anyway. Quite a positive thing to happen. Um, William Saliba's own goal. You know, there's a few fingers that could be pointed out for this this goal. I don't think White covers himself in glory. Saliba himself, you know, a brilliant finish finding the corner. Um, of the goal you know he's clearly well I say clearly I'm not sure if he's trying to head it out or head it back to Ramsdale and Ramsdale's come off his line so much so that makes it impossible for him to get it you know I think the blame is on Saliba overall because even if you're heading it wide or back to the keeper don't put it right in the corner of the goal Um, but this is a player who's had an awful lot of hype uh, you know, man of the match against Crystal Palace. I thought apart from this goal, he was excellent in this game again. Yeah, really good again. If he's going to make a mistake, is this not the perfect time, Pat, for him to have his first mistake? A game where we, we'll talk about in a minute, respond instantly. So there's no sort of, uh, you know, worry or anxiety on his shoulders after that goal goes in for, for long at all. He's then you know, given a massive cheer by the crowd every single time he touches the ball mm. after that moment. And from a fan point of view, does it just remind us all that he's he is a young player who is going to make mistakes, takes that pressure off him very slightly? You know, I, I can see some positives from, from this incident now that we've won this game. Yeah, I think, look, like you always want to make mistakes 
and the win. Mm. <laughs> and also, he looked gutted when it happened, right? He knew. Like, it wasn't like a Mustafi, make a mistake, throw your hands up in the air. I do mm. think, yeah, Ben White makes a mistake of misjudging the flight of the ball, but also turning his back towards the forwards. Was it James Justin who heads it on? I'm not too sure. Was it... I think so, yeah. Yeah. So what he does is like he's running backwards with his left shoulder towards Justin, which is the wrong body position. It should be the other way. He should be like chest open towards Justin. And then he tries to do that. But as he's switching sides, Justin comes inside him. It was almost like, I don't watch much NFL, but like when a, when a wide receiver like zags out, then zags in. But Ben White should, first of all, have his chest towards the player and the goal. And he should be a lot tighter to the player. Like, I actually think he should be trying to compete for that first ball uh, with his chest against the player to make it really hard. And look, if you foul him outside the box, so so be it. And then I think, yeah, you know, people have said if there's one area of Saliba's game that needs improving, it's probably his heading. And I do wonder if Gabriel's there instead of Saliba. Maybe he has a bit of a bigger leap and stretches a bit more. Um, and then I think Ramsdale being off his line is a bit unfortunate. He's obviously been told to kind of try and be as far out of his goal as he can at all points in this game as we play a, a slightly higher line with Saliba and Gabriel at the back. So I, I just think it was a really unlucky one. And look, like the two goals we conceded in this game are both quite unlucky. We conceded two goals from 0.65 XG, I think, um, compared to the 2.65 that we we accumulate. Mm. I, I think you have to just write this down and say, like, we're going to concede some some goals this season sometimes it'll be really unlucky sometimes it'll be from moments of magic sometimes it will just be you know a warranted goal and in, in this situation with both the goals we concede I think you can kind of hold your hands up and say like mistakes happen and um hopefully they won't happen too many more times this season like I doubt William Seabury is going to score that many more on goals this season if mm. any I do think one of the things we said Ollie in pre-season was don't be surprised if like Saliba or Gabriel see a red card. I think one of the things we maybe didn't say is like generally how many more compromising positions they'll be put in because of how high we'll play and these inverted fullbacks. I, I, I do think we are going to see them not make more mistakes, but just be put, put in more like positions that really strain them at center backs. And mm -hmm. that was an example of one of them just because we play so high now and um, with with these centre backs, with Zinchenko, with Jesus, I think it's going to happen. Mm. I think the big point from this game is is how we we did enough in attack that we're not looking at any of these misses because we got another Jesus one that comes in the second half. We've got you know the own goal. We would be talking about Ramsdale maybe for the second goal. We're not having to talk about that because we we responded and did enough up the other end of the pitch, which we so often didn't do last season. And we were left to rue these sort of little moments in games for, for not costing us. And we're making the margins bigger, as you just talked about with the XG. And, that, and that's the key. So that if we do have moments like this, it's not costing us points. And that's what we did so brilliantly. You know, this was the first time we conceded in the game. 2-0, we felt like we sort of had total control. We're sort of strolling to a win. At this point, we then immediately had to respond. And um, we did almost immediately. I think it was sort of just over a minute from the goal um, that goes in. And it's White who sort of gets the ball off Saka. 
puts in quite a speculative cross that I think it's fair to say a lot of keepers would just catch quite routinely. Um, there's nothing particularly special about the cross. It's almost, uh, you know, lots of talk about Fafana who had a pretty bad game. Looking at it back, Fafana almost gets in the way of the the keeper, I think, making that clean catch and sort of interferes with his own um, player there. Drops it to Jesus, who again shows his sort of positioning and strength that we talked about in the first half to just, I think he was sort of taking a touch to try and score himself, but it sort of falls to Xhaka. Who's, yeah, he definitely is, isn't he? Once that had trick. Yeah, who's there again, you know, same same sort of talking points for what we talked about in the first half. We've got Jesus' positioning and strength creating problems. Xhaka's positioning on the edge of the six-yard box to be there and in this case, add the final touch in the goal. And in the first goal, it was to to provide the assist. So what did you make of Xhaka in this game? I think he's a big talking point with a, a goal and assist. And, uh, you know, he's been pushing forward more over the last year. But I think this is probably that I haven't seen um, his heat map and stuff. I think it's probably the highest he's played. Yeah, for sure. He's playing right as that, you know. In the in the front five, basically, almost in mm. line with Jesus. On, so I'm I'm actually going to say something a little bit unpopular in this, right? Mm. I probably like Xhaka more than most people. I've probably defended him when he's like when people have been slating him in, in, in previous seasons, saying he's good and like you know I I think tactically he's a fantastic player. I think defensive spacing, you know, defensively off the ball is really really good. I think. He had four touches in the opposition box, two of those being uh, goal-contributing actions. I do look at sometimes when he's in the opposition third, and sometimes, and this is only from these first two games, so maybe you know this will improve, and maybe this is by kind of design, but the speed of play just seems to go up two gears as soon as it goes from his foot to Zinchenko, Martinelli, Odegaard, Jesus on that left-hand side, mm. when Odegaard drifts over. It's, it is to me like, I wonder, and maybe this is like Curiosity Killed the Cat and maybe it would be worse without him there, but I do wonder if like Fabio Vieira gets fit or we sign another central midfielder or you have a Lucas Paqueta type who is just so instinctively better in that final third. But this team actually can go up another level. Mm. And I think we've shifted from, you know, 3-4-3, where Xhaka was so integral onto Arteta in that, in that central midfield, right? To a 4-2-3-1, where again, so integral. To a 4-3-3, where, oh, actually, you know, he can play the eight and he's playing it fairly well. And now in this kind of really advanced role in this, I guess, uh, what would you call it? Like a five up front that we've we're we're deploying. I I think this is by design to make it so when we eventually do move on from Granite Jacker, whether it's this summer, whether it's in January, whether it's next summer, whether it's in two years when his contract's up, that you don't feel his absence as much. And I don't think that's a bad thing, but I also think that maybe in the same way that Lacazette did fairly well last season, right? Like, he wasn't amazing, but some things he did fairly well last season. Mm. Um, and, and the same way that Mo Elneny was fairly good towards the back end of the not last season, I do think we're seeing Granit Xhaka in this advanced position and thinking, well, what if there was a, you know, 
another level a mm. there who could really do something on the ball and be part of those intricate moves rather than being the guy facilitating them and that is kind of like what i went got went away with thinking of that like not in a bad way or disparaging way towards Xhaka, but i just really felt i was like wow you know he's not really contributing that much defensively like in his own half, I think he wasn't actually as good as he, he usually is. He gave that pass away in the first half and looked a bit leggy at times. I do think he will be more important in those bigger games where we have to defend more and, you know, he's defending the space more and he's he's helping Sinchenko or Tierney, whoever may be at that left-hand side a bit more. I do just wonder when we're going forward if there is another level mm. from another player in that position. Yeah. I don't disagree at all with what you're saying. I think I think this season it's probably looking like it will be um, remaining that way. And I think he adds a lot of qualities. You know, it sounds, I don't want us to be talking negatively about him when he's, you know, made a big impact attacking wise in this game, shown us new things that maybe we haven't seen from him or doubted that he could even, you know, have the legs to get forward into those positions. Um, so loads of positives to talk about. But I do completely agree that he almost feels like a bit like a stabiliser in this team at the moment that's sort of giving us a bit of seniority in that midfield you know in those attacking zones if you yeah for sure there if you so look at our midfield to Xhaka as well right yeah I think that's one thing to say mm. if you if you look at our you know take party out because he's playing defensive midfield almost as a, a defender everyone else in that midfield and attack are really young and you know, some of them not been in this team for very long. You can't underestimate how long Jack has been here. His experience, his positioning, you know, at times, his understanding of the game is clearly very good. Um, and Arteta really trusts him, which is a big thing as well. So I think the comparison to Lacazette is, is quite a good one there in, in terms of, yeah, sort of being that stabiliser, that seniority in that attacking area of the pitch and making sure we've got someone there who sort of has that depth of of knowledge even just from Arteta and, and how he wants to play he clearly understands that let's look at the uh, second Leicester goal then because that does link in a little bit to to what you said you know Xhaka didn't have the best defensive game because I'm watching it back now we've got um, the Leicester player running against Zinchenko Xhaka is with Madison at the start of this attack yeah. Um, as the ball sort of comes into the box, chops inside Zinchenko, sort of faints to shoot. Madison's made the run off Xhaka. Yeah. And Xhaka sort of stayed completely central. Um, Madison's overlapping to the right. He now has no one on him. Zinchenko, I think, would be harsh to criticise him here. He's sort of shown him inside, um, covered most of the angles. The pass through to Madison is you know, very unlucky not to be intercepted by, by Zinchenko. It's not perfect defending, but I, I think it would be harsh to really blame Zinchenko so, when there's a 2v1 situation there. So, like, if you actually freeze frame it when Madison picks up the ball first, right? Mm. Gabriel is basically saying, I've got two men. He's pointing at, um, is it Dakar on the left? And then, is it Tiedemans to his right? I don't, I'm not too sure. So, I actually think Thomas Party should be a bit deeper first of all 
I think there's a mix-up. So what I've noticed in the Premier League that's been quite interesting so far this season, I think it's going to become a norm, is defenders rotating a lot more. So if you see when Saliba goes out to the ball, Ben White ten- tends to kind of tuck in, kind of naturally as a centre-back. Mm-hmm. Um, we saw yesterday Ruben Loftus-Cheek playing this kind of right wing-back slash CAM role and Reese James playing right centre-back, but also right-back. And then, you know, we've seen Carl Walker in... Cancelo basically playing central midfield so far this season for for City. I actually think Gabriel should be one over. Saliba should be one over because he's sprinting to because Gabriel's screaming at saying both players. Hmm. Saliba then goes, "Oh shit, I've got a sprint over to help him out." Sprints over. Ben White should then be inside. You, because the, the whole like what coaches tell you all the time in football, protect the throat of the goal, right? The wings is where you're hurt less, right? Um, and then if you if you freeze frame it again when Daka picks up the ball, or is it Ian Acho, sorry, on the right, now you're in a bit, bit better position and we've kind of recovered. Gabriel's in a better position. Saliba's in a better position. And then, yeah, Madison starts to run off Xhaka mm. and Xhaka doesn't pick him up. So either what happens there is like you have to let Gabriel take Ian Acho and Zinchenko move on to Madison, or Xhaka has to run with Madison. It's either one of those two. Mm. And yeah, from there, it's not great from Ramsdale. I have some sympathy because it's like really fired in. Madison hits the ball really, really hard. So I think there are a few things there where like either Gabriel has to make the decision and take the responsibility and come right over. He doesn't, right? Which I don't, I don't know if it's a mistake or not. I personally would prefer Gabriel coming over and trying to help that side rather than Xhaka having to run from central midfield and and follow Madison. But as soon as that doesn't happen, Xhaka then, yeah, 100% has to follow Madison the whole way. Um, And he doesn't and he ends up with a goal. Mm. And I mean, despite all that, we're looking at it intricately, you know, to, to see what happens. If you freeze where Madison takes the shot, you know, Gabriel's covering a decent amount of the goal. Ramsdale himself is covering a decent amount of the goal. You don't expect that to go in. I think the XG was like 0.02 or something really no, low. No, no, yeah, I agree. Um, so, you know, it's something that shouldn't even happen again, even with those errors. But yeah, I think it's all valid points that we've gone through. Yeah, it's uh, it's not great from... I, I think at first Gabriel should come over. I think Shaka should then follow. And then I, said, I don't think it's good from Ramsdale. Mm. Um, but look, like... He made a great save in the first half on Fafana. He made a good interception on that cross. He made a great save against Palace for Eze. So, look, goalkeepers are always going to miss, make mistakes. I remember Alisson having an absurdly good game at Spurs, but then making a massive mistake to to let Son go around him and score the equaliser. So I, I do think with keepers, because the margins are so var- fine and a mistake is worth so much more than... Yeah, Xhaka making that mistake or Gabriel making that mistake. I I do think keepers are always going to be scrutinised more when they make mistakes. Um, mm. But yeah, like I think he should save it. And look, looking at the documentary and how he's like conceding a, a goal when they're three nil up against Villa to make mm. it three one, I'm sure he's severely pissed off at that one. Mm. I think that was more because it was someone else's fault. So I wonder how much. <laughs> you'd say I think he'll be even more annoyed. Honestly. Yeah, yeah. True. And I, I think, you know, credit where it's due to Madison for the goal. You know, he starts the move. He reads that situation that we've just had to slow down and pause five times to analyse where the space is. 
he reads that live in game. Um, Ayanacho doesn't even seem to look at him, but knows that he's he's sort of made that overlapping run. So really good work from him as well. And then Madison sort of probably spots that Ramsdale's legs are, are very wide at that point um, and hits it very, very hard and low. You know, it is a very good finish. He's done very well there, um, to be fair to him. But once again, then, Arsenal put that disappointment behind them very quickly because whilst we didn't go behind in these instances, Pat, we we were terrible coming from behind last season. And part of that, I think, was mentally the the change, you know, when we were hit with adversity, we we were conceded. How do we react? Sometimes we were controlling games. We went behind. We lost our focus. Even in the Palace game last week, you know, Ramsdale's pass out or they had a half chance and it lifted the crowd and we sort of lost our way a little bit. Yeah, It was really reassuring. Um, and there will be more of a test when we do actually fall behind. Um, but when we had these moments where there was an opportunity for Leicester to build pressure, you know, create nerves in the, in the home environment, Arsenal were immediately again back to respond. And we talked about them in the first half, but this goal was all about Martinelli um, intercepting the ball as Leicester was sort of could have, you know, come into quite a promising situation watching it back. I think it's, yeah. um, is it Dewsbury Hall? Someone receiving the ball with a fair bit of space. He's a, he's a very good player, by the way, Dewsbury Hall. Mm. I don't know yeah. where he's come from, but very, very handy player. Yeah, no, I like him. He's, um, you know, Martinelli, the left forward, has tracked back. It looks like parties ahead of the ball. He should probably be in that position. But Martinelli's read that, stolen the ball. You know, that could potentially turn around and be 2-2 instead of what then happens. Erdegaard, who who had a bit of a mixed game, I think, picks up, does his neat pass. Jesus is then looking to make the difference again, but slides it across to Martinelli, who's made that run um, after picking up the ball. And I think what happens next is is obviously the most impressive thing because Martinelli's finishing has been a bit inconsistent. We need his numbers to um, increase massively this season. And he lets off a, you know, a left-footed strike perfectly into the corner um, from outside the box, which we haven't really seen much from Martinelli. I'm trying to remember another goal outside of the box. Uh, no, I mean, him. but like left foot as well. Mm. Um, really didn't think he had that in this last game. It's well, a fantastic the keeper, strike. Fantastic the keeper strike. and defenders probably didn't think he was going to do that because he did have, I don't know if it was Zinchenko, someone on the overlap. And had he sort of done a, a mediocre shot, I'm sure we'd be looking back and thinking, why is he not sort of played in that that person on the overlap? But, you know, sometimes you've got to shoot when when they're not expecting it. I'm just looking at it back now, pausing when Martinelli takes the shot. Um, he's sort of teasing that overlap. So uh, the, the right back or the right back in this situation is drifted away and created that opening the keeper's completely flat-footed he's definitely not expecting the shot at that point um and yeah it's, it's perfectly executed and I think really exciting if if Martinelli can score in both games now you know he missed a huge chance two minutes in against Palace and responded to it in the perfect way what are your hopes Pat for Martinelli this season so I tweeted something uh, along the lines of and I think I might have said this on the podcast before, is like when we signed Mesut Ozil, the player of the season that season was, was it, was Ramsey, right? When he went on that crazy scoring streak. 
from midfield. Maybe. Um, I think it was. I think, although Jesus will probably be our player of the season, there is a chance that they're ble- the breakout player of the year, and I think he'll score a lot more and assist a lot more than people think, is probably going to be Gabriel Martinelli. And I think that's part and parcel because of Gabriel Jesus, but also, you know, we can't forget <laughs> the kind of technical level that we've brought in on that mm. left side in Zinchenko, who is adding so much. And yeah, I, I really think that he is going to continue on this trajectory. Like, I think he's going to score a lot of goals. He's going to assist a lot of goals. His corner delivery looks like it's gone even up another level this season. Um, he's obviously been working hard on that this summer. Um, and I think he has a great shot on making that World Cup squad for Brazil. And mm. him and Jesus just look so, so, so hungry, don't they? Well, it's not going to hurt his chances when, when he is linking up with Jesus. I'm sure he was no. delighted um, when he came in for that reason as well. We, uh, we're doing quite a quick one today. So let's let's chat very quickly about um, some news that's come out this morning from David Ornstein. Um, that Granit Xhaka and Gabriel Jesus are going to be the deputy captains for Erdegaard. Um, I think Xhaka got the armband when Erdegaard went off in this game. Um, so maybe we sort of knew this, but to officially sort of announce that. Yeah. Does that indicate, does that point to what we were saying earlier, Pat, that, you know, we may move on from Xhaka, but it, it might well now not be in this window. No, yeah, it definitely won't be in this window. There's absolutely mm. no chance. Mm. Um and Jesus, you know, to come in so quickly, we talked off air about he's taken a lot of the media responsibilities. That's probably because the media have wanted to talk to him after every game, but he's spoken really well, hasn't he? You know, has do you think really that's well. maybe influenced um, that decision? Because there are other candidates, you know, your Ramsdales, Tierney's and, and players like sometimes, that. Sometimes it happens though. I, know, I remember Ruben Diaz being captain for a lot of um, his first season at Man City. Right. Mm. So sometimes a player does come in and they just they just become like that guy in the dressing room, right? Um, if you've raised the level of the squad, you've yeah, you know, you've brought a new energy to the squad. You speak very well. He speaks so nicely about his teammates, you know. Yeah. Eddie played five minutes and, and didn't do anything in this game, but he was he was well, nearly could have had goals, again. didn't he? <laughs> Yeah, but you know, you know, most it's rare for a striker to mention the the guy competing for his place yeah, yeah, so often really and, and talk I, him up. I think the other thing is Zinchenko as well, right? Like spoke really highly in, in, in all the interviews, but got really annoyed at that second concession, was screaming at both the centre backs in that. Mm. Um he came out after the game like good win, but we need to improve a few things. I think we've added two proper leaders into this squad, but it's interesting to see us go. I mean, look, do you remember when Unai Emery named like five captains and maybe the language barrier was kind of um, <laughs> too much and he said it in a weird way and we, you know, we, we had votes. But that's what Man City do, don't they? Um, mm. They've just voted on their club captain for this season is going to be um, uh, Gunnar, I think. It's then Diaz and De Bruyne and they've got Rodri in there as well. So, you know, like, I wonder who that wider leadership group is going to be. And I think I'd be surprised if it isn't, you know, Gabriel, Zinchenko, Ben White. Uh, I know there's there's a lot there, but like there's a lot who are kind of on that same kind of level. Ramsdale, even Bukayo Saka, you could say, hmm. um, might be candidates to be part of that wider group. So I'm, I'd be interested to see who that becomes. Um 
but yeah, like really exciting group that Arsenal are building here. And I don't know if we'll have much time to talk about potential incomings, but that's one area that there's not been as much movement in as, as I guess we'd hoped um, over the last couple of weeks, at least. Yeah. You know, I think really interesting that he's gone for three players who are very central on the pitch. And, you know, could probably take some of the most touches in our game. Um, he probably would have had a centre-back in there had we had, you know, Gabriel maybe, um, you know, speaking a bit more fluently English. If Saliba had been here longer, he'd maybe be in contention. Um, so, yeah, I think it's really interesting decision and does point to that situation on on Shaka happening. Do you have time to, to briefly talk about Bournemouth, Pat? Yes, let's do it. So Bournemouth up next on my birthday. Don't let me down, Arsenal. Um, 5.30 on Saturday. So it is a bit of a, you know, evening on telly kickoff. You know, Bournemouth very good in their, in their first home game. Yeah. You know, picked up the three points. I think any away game, you know what I'm like with away games. Any away game <laughs> is, is far from easy. Um, I think we could make it fairly straightforward if we can make an impact on the game early, get some early goals, you know, sort of start how we did at Palace and, and kill that excitement because, you know... <laughs> Not trying to talk us up too much, but Bournemouth back in the Premier League, you know, they're they're there for games like this. They will be a bit of a party atmosphere. Yeah, they'll be welcoming it. They'll be really up for it. Mm. So, you know, it's one of those games where a lot of scenarios could occur and and maybe the leaders that we've just talked about are going to help us through this one. Would you make any change for this one, Pat? I don't think so. I think it's another game where we need to kind of dominate that ball. I remember Bournemouth being quite a small pitch, if I'm not mistaken. Um, small stadium anyway. Yeah, small stadium. Um, yeah, I... I, uh, uh, I, uh, I don't know. I, I think we'll be okay for this one. I just think, like, the amount of attacking threat we'll have. I'm looking forward to seeing if Fabio Vieira makes that squad. Um, mm. That'd be interesting. So... Yeah, I, I I think we should be okay. I have to profess I haven't seen any of Bournemouth this season so far. I watched a few of the highlights, so maybe mm. I need to do some some scouting before that. Yeah, I mean they lost four 0 to City away from home, but haven't we all? Who, who, uh, who isn't who isn't going to this season? Yeah, and that was um, with Harlan having what nine touches or whatever. So yeah, yeah. Um, I, guess, I guess they can point to that and be and say you know success. I mean, uh, it, it genuinely could be. You know, it's genuinely at the point where you play City away, where four 0 is not like horrific for a team like Bournemouth yeah, that have come yeah, out. Yeah. Um, so it's not. Also, awful. I do I do think teams that just expect to be in a relegation fight, they can go games one two nil down and then just think, you know what, like let's convert conserve our energy to to games that we we might have a better shot in. Mm. Um, I, I think that's kind of what we need to do get yeah. this game over early and make sure that they know that, no, that there's no chance of getting any points against Arsenal. Well, we um, need to make teams think about us as a team like that, don't we? Because yeah, I think 100%. the reason maybe our away games have been such a challenge is every team we've gone to has quite rightly seen it as a, a real opportunity to to get under the skin of Arsenal. You know, they've got such a poor away record in, in so many seasons. We can really cause a problem here. If we if we make this real strong start to the season, you know, some favourable fixtures, we could create that feel around the club again. And, and you can't underestimate the, the difference that can make in, in some of these scenarios. Yeah, for sure. 
for sure. Um, do you want to say a quick word on kind of some of our rivals for those top four positions this season? Mm. Um, obviously, Man United have had a calamitous start to the season. And I, I honestly predicted this. Like, I, I just saw no change in anything to do with the club apart from a coach. And it was just so obvious that they were going to, you know, they were going to be quite poor. Mm. Um, I saw the the betting odds for them to finish above us were, they were odds on to finish above us this season, like, which is crazy to me. I just thought there was never, ever going to be any chance that that ever happens. Mm. Um, and I, I, what I think is even better is seeing the comparisons to Arsenal last season. Um you know, we had our two best and senior players, or two of our best and senior players out through COVID, more players injured, didn't finish our uh, summer spending yet before that first game. And sure, like United might buy some more players, but they had a fully fit squad uh, in that game. Mm. Um, they've already spent, you know, a fair bit of money, especially on Lissandro Martinez. Um, and by the way, if, if the press are to be, be believed, you know, they're trying to target players like Rabio and Akadi who and when you've got off the field problems well. yeah is probably the worst it's almost like just agents of players who they know you know want big money and no yeah. big club is stupid enough to to pay it are yeah. going to united and united are willing to talk you know, they seem a right mess behind and, the and, scenes and a couple other things right like united have three or four players in their starting 11 who have a year left on their contract, right? Fred, I believe Rashford, maybe Martial. I'm not 100% sure on Martial. Um, Ronaldo, like this is a team that's basically going to not be here in 12 to 18 months. And I just find it crazy that they haven't really solidified the, the direction in which they want to go. Um, and, and, Again, I, I've said it as well about the kind of links to all the Eredivisie players. It's so lazy to bring in a coach and basically just say, who's pretty good from, um, who, who's pretty good from, who's pretty good from that league. Mm. Like, it's just not the way football clubs should work. And yeah, they're going to be in a rut for a long, long time. I, I also think it's Barmy that he's trying to play his kind of Ten Hag football with Dalot and Luke Shaw inverted. Like what he needs to do and what they need to do is go five at the back, give Maguire and Lissandro the support they need with a Varane in there, mm. play Dalot and Shaw in positions that suit them more, play, uh, you know, those midfielders a lot closer together and deeper and just try and let that front three flow. But like, doesn't look like they're going to do it anytime soon. Um, mm. And then, I, I guess, from your perspective, watching the game yesterday, Chelsea Spurs, what did you think of those two? Yeah, it's hard, it's hard to know, you know, because we we become accustomed to watching the other big teams in the league wanting certain results. And two games in, it's, it was really hard to know what to to root for in that game. And whilst the draw was probably the best because, uh, you know, it's the fewest points that can go out, you know, two instead of three to, to one of them. Um, I did feel particularly aggrieved for, Chelsea, you know, if we were a Chelsea podcast talking about the game, I would be absolutely raging on. I would be ripping my hair out. Sorry. On what's a, happened. For, for a poor expression. <laughs> yeah. I mean, a great watch, you know, with the managers and, and everything, but I mean, Tottenham, not not fluid or, or good really at all, but I'm not surprised because they didn't play, I don't think, any of their new players. So it was the Tottenham of last season, really, in these games. Chelsea away, we got a great record there, but, you know, 
it is one of the harder fixtures they'll have. So they'll be delighted with the point. Um, that will keep them really positive, which isn't great. Um, to get that late goal again, which they seem very good at nicking late goals. Chelsea, I thought, were really good. They look really good, man. Um, um, scarily good, actually. Mm, and they're still going to spend a lot of money. So yeah, probably I think, another 150 million. And, and and as that went on, and you know, I never liked seeing Tottenham get any points, but as I thought, Chelsea probably looked the stronger, you know, and they were at home. And there's there's a lot of factors. Tottenham didn't have any of their new players, etc. But I just think, you know, aesthetically anyway, Chelsea looked the better football team. But Tottenham have those killer forwards that that are going to keep getting them points in games they don't deserve. You know, we we always talk about it in our chat. There's been many a game they've won where we've all been saying, oh, they weren't good. But we've got to get used to that. You know, that's why they got the world-class forward. So I think they're both going to be... Unfortunately, it wasn't a game I watched thinking they're both crap. We've got them. You know, I think it's going to be real competition for us. I think it is. I do think Chelsea looked a lot better than I thought they would and Spurs looked a lot worse than they thought they would. Mm. Um, so I actually think the three of us are going to be very close this season. Yeah. I think the best hope with Tottenham is getting a series of bad results in a short period because the wheels can come off with Conte, as we've seen in, in almost every job he's been in. So that's the kind of scenario I'm hoping happens at Spurs. Um, and Chelsea, you know, there was a lot of excitement when Abramovich left, but they're spending a huge amount of money. You know, they're being linked to, hopefully they spend 50 million on Gordon because I think that would be a silly thing to do. But they're already the top spenders in the league and I think are going to spend probably 100 million more. You know, they're being linked with Frankie de Jong, Anthony Gordon through the middle and maybe another centre-back. So, Bamiang as well. Or Bamiang. You know, Fafana. FFP, where are you? I know we've <laughs> spent a lot, but... There was a good thread from Swiss... Uh, from what's the guy? The guy that does the Swiss Ramble. Is it? Swiss Ramble. I nearly said Swiss Gunner. Um, about the why they can do it, basically. <laughs> okay. So okay. apparently it's all okay. in check, according to him, and I mm. believe him or them. Yeah. Well, you know, fair enough. Chelsea are, are definitely going to be sticking around in that fight, but um, yeah, it could be that the top five maybe. I don't think there's a team at this very very early stage that are going to push those five, you know, City, Liverpool, Arsenal, Spurs, Chelsea, United look like they'll be away. You know, maybe Newcastle have had a decent start. Let's see what they do in the final couple of weeks, um, whether they can sustain their form in 2022. But, you know, focusing on ourselves, it's as good a start we could have hoped for. Um, And we've got a few games coming up where we will be targeting more wins. So let's keep that momentum going. We've not really talked about transfers today, but there's been, you know, a decent amount of transfer chat on the podcast in recent weeks. Um, Head over to the YouTube channel, Fresh Arsenal Show, to see some more transfer content on there if you're really thirsty for it. Um, I think Arsenal probably will do something else. It may just be the one now, Um, maybe that forward, but we'll wait and see. I'm sure when we talk next week, Something, something will have happened. Maybe know. we'll sign someone by the time this is released, um, knowing how sort of undercover Arsenal have been so far this summer. But we're going to leave it there. Um, thank you for joining again, Pat, and hopefully less pressure this week, um, not taking the reins as host. 
<laughs> yeah, a lot less pressure. Uh, hopefully this was a better lesson than when I took the reins. Um, yeah, thanks very much and catch you next week. Well, cheers, Pat. And you, Pat's got a new account um, at AFC Pat, so make sure you're following him on there it's, uh, to focus all your sort of football attention away from your other business ventures. Yeah, it's just like, but I tweet one thing about like, I don't know, Aston Villa being shit. And my entire timeline would be about Aston Villa. And I was like, I don't want this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, this just makes no sense. And it kept happening. And I was just like, unless the YouTube, YouTube, Twitter algorithm gets any better, I'm, I'm going to separate those two parts. And uh, yeah, hopefully have a bit of fun on there. Yeah, no, that's fair enough. I've been Ollie Price Bates, your host this week. You can follow me at Ollie Price Bates. You can follow the podcast at Fresh Arsenal Pod. And please, if you haven't already, subscribe to the podcast on whatever you're still listening to us on right now. Thank you very much and we'll see you next week. Podcast Network.